teenage girl with no friends and a domineering mother suffers abuse in every aspect of her life. Her mother is a religious fanatic who screams scripture at her and locks her in a closet, and her classmates see her as an outsider who doesn't deserve to be seen. Slowly but surely, the girl begins to realize she's stronger than the world has told her she is, and a deadly power begins to manifest in the form of telekinesis. At first, the girl tries to suppress this power after a handsome classmate asks her to the prom, but when she's humiliated for the last time, the power takes over and the horror begins. The very first tale from the mind of Stephen King, this is Carrie. Happy Wednesday, horror fans. You're listening to Filmgasm, the podcast where I, Connor Azagari, bring you the 411 on a different horror flick every week. For daily reviews and articles, the newest trailers, and every podcast episode thus far, check out Filmgasm.com. Coming soon, unless I've already posted it, is Austin's Top 5 MCU Films article. Be warned, Avengers Endgame does not make the cut. I know, I'm just as shocked as you are. But in his defense, he doesn't live and die by the Marvel flag like I do. He takes them as individual films and judges them by his own criteria. You know, it's subjective. And speaking of Austin, next week is Weird Shit Wednesday, where we will discuss the career and life of Hollywood superstar John Wayne, who may have been one of the 46 casualties of cancer brought on by radiation sickness on the 1956 set of The Conqueror, which was filmed in an irradiated zone. In addition to his Genghis Khan biopic, we'll cover 12 other films that we believe defined his career, as well as his political beliefs and staunch anti-communist stance during the Hollywood blacklist. It's going to be fascinating, and I cannot wait. Here's a little rewind for you. I've got an interesting Quentin Tarantino update. An article posted yesterday on the playlist says that Tarantino may be teaming up with stand-up comic Jared Carmichael, you may know him from The Carmichael Show, to make a sequel to Django Unchained, in which freed slave-turned-bounty-hunter Django encounters the legendary swordsman Zorro. Seriously. It's based on a comic book from Dynamite Entertainment and Vertigo Comics. The story of Django Zorro, which is what it would be called, follows the Tarantino character after the events of Django Unchained. He settled down with his wife Brumhilda near Chicago and finds himself taking odd jobs around the western part of the country to help send money to his family. Along the way, he comes across an aging Zorro, and together they go on adventures as Django becomes the swordsman's bodyguard. Now, It's unlikely that Tarantino will be directing this bizarre film, but he will definitely be producing it and may assist in writing it. Tarantino has remained insistent that he will be retiring after ten films, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being his ninth, and an upcoming possible Star Trek project being his tenth. So Django Zorro doesn't exactly fit into his timetable. Still, what a strange project that could be hit or miss. I mean, I'm excited, but... You know, I mean, do you really want to touch Django Unchained? It's such a perfect movie that I feel like adding Zorro, of all things, into the mix would kind of screw it up a little. But, you know, what do I know? Could be the greatest movie of all time. I guess we'll find out if this ever happens. And that's all I got for the rewind. It's been kind of a slow week with uh, updates. Don't really have anything else on past episodes. So let's go right into Carrie. Carrie began life in 1974 as a novel by Stephen King, 
It was actually the fourth novel he'd written, but it was his first to be published. At the time, King and his wife Tabitha were living in a trailer, and King was writing short stories for magazines just to make some quick cash. He also worked at a laundromat for like $1.60 an hour. Carrie was supposed to be a short story for Cavalier magazine, but after writing just three pages of it, King threw it away. When asked about it later, King recalled, quote, Some woman said, you write all those macho things, but you can't write about women. I said, I'm not scared of women. I could write about them if I wanted to. So I got an idea for a story about this incident in a girl's shower room, and the girl would be telekinetic. The other girls would pelt her with sanitary napkins when she got her period. The period would release the right hormones, and she would rain down destruction on them. I did the shower scene, but I hated it and threw it away. Tabitha, his wife, fished the pages out of the trash and urged King to finish the story. He decided he would after Tabitha decided to help him with the feminine aspect of it, and he expanded it into a novel. When Doubleday Publishing decided to publish Carrie, they had to send King a telegram because he had decided to have the phone company remove his phone to save money. Doubleday gave him a $2,500 advance on the book, and a month later, the New American Library bought the paperback rights for $400,000. The paperback would later sell a million copies in the first year alone, and just like that, Stephen King became a household name. That was the beginning of all of it. Everything. The Shining, It, Salem's Lot, The Dark Tower, The Stand, all of it came from Carrie. In 1976, the first film adaptation of Carrie was made. The film was directed by Brian De Palma, who would later do 1983's Scarface, 1987's The Untouchables, and the first Mission Impossible film, among others. It has an IMDb score of 7.4 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 93%. It stars Oscar winner Sissy Spacek as Carrie White in the role that made her a star. She would win her only Oscar to date for 1980's Coal Miner's Daughter, where she played country music star Loretta Lynn. She's been nominated an additional five times for 2001's In the Bedroom, 1986's Crimes of the Heart, 1984's The River, and of course for 1976's Carrie. The film co-stars Oscar nominee Piper Laurie as Carrie's psychotic overbearing mother, Margaret White. She was nominated for her performances in 1986's Children of a Lesser God, 1961's The Hustler, and, of course, 1976's Carrie. The acting nominations for Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie are the only two nominations that Carrie received at the Oscars. Amy Irving, Steven Spielberg's first wife before he left her for Kate Capshaw, plays Sue Snell, the girl who tries to be nice to Carrie after the incident. William Catt plays Tommy Ross, Sue's boyfriend who takes Carrie to the prom to be nice. Nancy Allen plays Chris Harginson, the queen bitch who plans to get Carrie back after Carrie inadvertently gets her banned from the prom. And a young John Travolta plays Billy Nolan, Chris's dim-witted boyfriend. This was Travolta's first major film role. He did his audition while on a lunch break from his TV show in the 70s, Welcome Back, Cotter. He was still dressed as his character in that show. So, the film begins with 16-year-old Carrie White in the locker room shower experiencing her first period. She's shy, unpopular, and has a religious fanatic mother who never prepared her for puberty. So, Carrie freaks out, thinking she's bleeding to death. 
Her viciously cruel classmates, led by Chris Harginson, laugh at her and pelt her with tampons until the gym teacher, Miss Collins, stops them. Miss Collins tells the principal, who keeps calling Carrie Cassie. Angry at his apathy, Carrie somehow makes his ashtray fly off his desk and shatter with her mind. When Carrie arrives home, she asks her mother, Margaret, why she didn't tell her about her period. Margaret says that menstruation stems from sinful thoughts, and now Carrie is a woman who will commit sins of the flesh. She locks Carrie in a prayer closet and demands that she pray her sin away. Margaret White is such a vicious villain because it's too real. You know, a lot of people do deal with parents like this who live and die by the Bible, and there's no love there. It's just domina- domination. It's horrific. It's, in my opinion, way scarier than, like, you know, the Ghost of the Overlook or Pennywise the Clown, because this, this is real. Back at school, Miss Collins punishes the girls who attacked Carrie with some sort of boot camp, but when Chris protests and walks away, she's banned from the prom. Wanting revenge, Chris plans to humiliate Carrie at prom by rigging the election so that Carrie wins prom queen and dropping gallons of pig's blood on her when she collects her crown. One of the other girls, Sue Snell, feels bad for her part in the shower incident and decides to do something nice for Carrie by having her boyfriend, Tommy Ross, take Carrie to the prom. When Tommy asks her, Carrie thinks it's a joke, but she comes around. When Carrie begs her mother to let her go to the prom with Tommy, Margaret refuses and spouts some scripture about Carrie being on her way to becoming a whore. Carrie, having researched her power, slams all the doors and windows shut to intimidate Margaret, who is terrified and now believes her daughter to be a satanic witch. Carrie goes to the prom with Tommy and has a good time until she's crowned prom queen and Chris drops a bucket of pig's blood onto her. The entire class roars in laughter except for Sue and Tommy, who are devastated for her. Now, I've seen this a couple times, and I'm still not entirely clear if the class is all laughing at her for real, or if they're all laughing at her in Carrie's mind. Because she does snap psychotically here, and has her mother in her head screaming, they're all going to laugh at you, which is what she said earlier. So, you can take it either way, I guess. And of course, Carrie snaps, and her powers explode, setting fire to the gym and locking everyone inside. Carrie leaves the prom and lets the class burn alive, innocent and guilty alike. As she calmly walks home, Chris and Billy try to run her over, but she flips their car with with her mind and blows it up, killing them. Upon returning home, Carrie wipes off the blood and cleans herself up, only to be confronted by her mother, who stabs her with a kitchen knife. Carrie fights back by hurling a dozen knives at her mother with her mind, stabbing and killing Margaret White, Carrie then sets fire to the house with them both inside. The film ends with Sue, the only survivor of the prom massacre, visiting the remains of Carrie's house with a for sale sign sticking out of the ground. Written on the sign is the phrase, Carrie White Burns in Hell. Suddenly, Carrie's arm reaches through the dirt and grabs Sue, who wakes up screaming. And this was actually the moment that landed Carrie on the number nine spot, of Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments countdown that came out in 2004 and was kind of my initial inspiration for checking out horror films. And that's Carrie, a film that has stood the test of time and remains one of the best adaptations of King's work, as well as a fantastic horror film and a fantastic coming-of-age film. And there's a theory I touched on in the Shining podcast that Carrie's telekinetic power could be a form of the shine, 
a supernatural force that grants power to a lot of King's characters. Typically, the shine comes from physical or emotional abuse, and Carrie suffers from both in spades. Carrie White suffers more abuse than most of King's characters, from her psycho mother locking her in the closet, to her classmates alienating and taunting her. And I think she's definitely got the shine. And she uses it to take back her life by tearing down the ones who tried to destroy her, her mother and her classmates. If you remember The Shining, the reason Danny's power manifested in the first place is after his dad accidentally dislocated his arm during a drunken uh, rage. And that's... There was abuse that started Danny's powers. And you can see this in a lot of his work in It, The Losers Club. They have a mental connection, a psychic connection that stems from a lot of their abuse. You know, Beverly is abused by her father... Uh, Bill is emotionally neglected by his parents who, you know, miss Georgie and because of his stutter, Ben is harassed by the bullies. It's, you know, Eddie has his crazy hypochondriac mother. So, you know, abuse led to these kids possibly having a mental connection that Pennywise tunes into. And I don't see why it wouldn't be any different with Carrie considering the amount of shit she had to deal with. Anyway, it's just a cool little thing to look at. The Shine pops up in a lot of his stories. Psychic powers are a recurring motif in his work. There was a sequel made in 1999 called The Rage, Carrie 2. The only connection to the first film is Sue Snell, played once again by Amy Irving. The psychic girl this time is Rachel Lang, played by Emily Burgle, whose powers manifest after the suicide of her only friend. Sue Snell knows what happens when the lonely girl with powers is teased, and she may know how to stop another massacre from happening. The film has an IMDb score of 4.7 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 20%, so it's not exactly a masterpiece. It's up there with Pet Cemetery 2, just another cash grab with the Carrie label on it that doesn't have any substance. And Carrie has been remade twice, with the first being a 2002 TV movie starring Angela Bettis as Carrie White, Patricia Clarkson as Margaret White, Candace McClure as Sue Snell, and Emily DeRavine as Chris Harginson. It was written by Brian Fuller, who would later develop the TV shows Dead Like Me, Pushing Daisies, Hannibal, Star Trek Discovery, and American Gods. So clearly the guy's got chops. I haven't seen this adaptation, though. I was planning to, but because of my vacation I mentioned in the last podcast, I did lose a week. So I was unable to check this out. It has an IMDb score of 5.5. It doesn't have a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has an audience score of 50%. So, not exactly a masterpiece, again. Seems like Carrie is one of those movies that can't really be recaptured. It was too perfect the first time. And the other remake was much more high-profile. 2013's Carrie stars Chloe Grace Moretz as Carrie White, Julianne Moore as Margaret White, Gabriella Wilde as Sue Snell, Portia Doubleday as Chris Harginson, and Ansel Elgort as Tommy Ross. It was directed by Kimberly Pierce, director of Boys Don't Cry. It received mixed reviews, and again, I haven't watched it yet. It has an IMDb score of 5.9, and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 50%. And frankly, even though I haven't seen it, I think I know what the problem is. I think Chloe Moretz was miscast. From the preview alone, I I didn't buy her as the odd duck. As, admittedly, she's cute. While Sissy Spacek 
brought an unusual look and feel to the character. You could kind of see that Sissy Spakes' Carrie could be, you know, bullied and ostracized. Whereas Chloe Grace Moretz looks like the hot girl who's leading the pack. She looks like a mean girl, basically. And, you know, I think this is the same problem that Andrew Garfield had when he played Spider-Man in the Amazing Spider-Man films, the two that came out. I didn't buy him as a bullied nerd because he's a handsome guy with charm. There's no way this guy's getting bullied at school. Chloe Moretz is a beautiful girl with charm, so I just don't buy her as a bullied outsider like Carrie White. I think it should have been somebody else. I think that really would have helped. Because I doubt Julianne Moore was the problem. She's an amazing actress, an Oscar winner, who I totally would buy as a psycho mother. But, you know, I'll watch it one day and I'll do an update, let you guys know what I thought. And there was also a Broadway musical made from Carrie in 1988 that closed after only five performances when financial backers pulled their support. It remains one of the most expensive disasters in Broadway history. It was revived off-Broadway in 2009 and has been playing on and off in various cities ever since. And that's kind of weird. I don't really see Carrie as a musical. But, you know, then again, there is a number of strange Broadway and off-Broadway musicals out there. You know, they have Evil Dead the musical, Shrek the musical. They had that um, that Spider-Man musical that Bono wrote a few years ago. That was a massive disaster. <laughs> I remember that. That was so weird. What was it? Spider-Man Hold the Dark, I think it was called. And uh, I've seen a, a few Broadway shows, a few off-Broadway shows, and it's fun. And maybe Carrie brought something, you know, maybe they captured something. I don't know. I doubt it. Here's some filmgasm facts for 1976's Carrie. Number one. According to Piper Laurie, she honestly thought her character was too over-the-top fanatical to be taken seriously. Brian De Palma had to take her to the side and personally tell her it was a horror film and not a black comedy as she thought it was. Even so, she would constantly burst into laughter between takes because not only was her characterization and wardrobe laughable in her eyes, but the dialogue itself was humorous for her. To this day, she still refers to and maintains the movie as a black comedy. And I don't know what that says. I think it says a lot about Piper Laurie. That she would read that and think, oh, this is hilarious. This is so over the top. Jesus. Number two. Adding to Margaret White's psychotic character is the fact that none of the Bible passages in the film are real. For example, she quotes Genesis chapter 3 to say that sexuality is evil. That chapter is actually the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. So the Bible doesn't say anything that Margaret says it does. That's weird. Interesting, though. Adds a whole other layer of psycho to her. She's just making this shit up. Number three. Bernard Herrmann, who had been nominated for an Oscar for the music to De Palma's previous film, Obsession, was slated to compose this score, but passed away the December before the film was completed. And Herrmann's four-note violin theme from Psycho is used over and over in this film, mainly when, whenever Carrie's powers manifest. You know that? That part. You hear it a lot. In Carrie. And I always thought that was ripped off, but I guess not. Bernard Herman was involved at one point, and, you know, they used his music. Pretty cool. And number four, Margaret White, with her twisted and terrifying hatred of sex, bears a resemblance to Carol in Roman Polanski's Repulsion, 1965. Remember, we covered that one in the Polanski podcast. Austin and I did not enjoy it, and thought Carol was a very strange character, but it's totally Margaret White. Margaret White is was Carol at some point, you know. She just 
went crazy because she hated sex and she hated men. And uh, I didn't write this down, but I do remember a really cool theory connecting uh, Carrie to the 1996 Roald Dahl family film Matilda. Now hear me out on this. So the theory goes that after the events of Matilda, Miss Honey and Matilda kind of, you know, they live together and Miss Honey turns to scripture to kind of, I don't remember why. It's not a very sound theory. It's just interesting. But anyway, Matilda's powers grow and Miss Honey starts to get a little freaked out. She turns to scripture and they move to another town, change their names to Margaret and Carrie White. And Matilda grows up ostracized because of her powers and Miss Honey grows up to be a domineering crazy mother. And this is just because it's both movies with two little girls who have powers that stem from abuse and neglect. That's the only connection. There's nothing else. And people just like to see patterns where there aren't any. And this is definitely one of those, but I just thought I'd share that. So for my final score, I give 1976's Carrie an eight solid film, very enjoyable and a great way to introduce Stephen King's demented mind to the world, both with the book and with the film. Sissy Spacek's performance is sympathetic and iconic, while Piper Laurie is terrifying as one of King's most realistic villains. Check it out for sure, as it's a fantastic horror classic. And thanks for sticking around for Carrie, and I hope you learned something about bullying. Sometimes it can lead to psychic mass murder, so, you know, don't be a dick. That's the best life lesson you can learn from Filmgasm. Life is quick, don't be a dick. And thanks to Austin Johnson, Caleb Leger, and Josh Allred for keeping the website going with reviews and articles constantly. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email us at filmgasm at gmail.com if you've got a recommendation or you want to ask us a question or something. Anything. We welcome all feedback. Positive, negative. We, we welcome everything. Stay tuned next week with Austin as we dig into John Wayne for Weird Shit Wednesday. In the meantime... The best thing you can do for a lonely child is be there. One good friend can go a long way. Trust me on this. And I'll see you next Wednesday.